0: That sense of admiration is also part of her understanding of love. And then we can tie our gratitude to appreciation. She really appreciates the possibility of having a child. The gift of his life, the gift of all life is very, very meaningful to her. And so she sees that as very, very important
1: to her understanding of love. Love is foundational for Lauren as an expression of self, other focus, and divine love. Now you say I had to lose myself so I could love you better. Is that, is that so? Yes. I
2: had to, I had, you know, and that's like a double entendre because you got, you know, I had to lose, as in, you know, lose something myself, or I had to lose myself. And then ultimately it says I had to lose myself in love. You know, I had to lose myself in order to make it better. You know, I had to lose myself in order to love you better. Ultimately, I had to lose myself in order to love me better. You know, in order to love others better.
3: Her music is driven by, and has the common connecting thread of love as the wellspring of her musical inspiration and motivation.
4: You know, and it's just making love. It's making, it, I call it, this is like a musical libido. That's all it is. It's just, it's, it's, it's love. You know what I mean? We do this because we're driven, you know, by a love. The desire to produce love, to receive love, you know, to create love, to make love, to live love,
0: to love love. Love, love, love.
1: And to her, that inspiration is divinely inspired where she feels a calling to spread this message of love.
4: You know, and, and what I do, I mean, I, I find there's a lot of power in prayer. So I pray for the people who don't understand me. And I tell you, be honest with you, I pray more now to be understood. No, excuse me, to understand than to be understood. I pray now to, know, to learn how to love than to be loved because God has given me an abundance. So, you know, I don't need God. These people don't understand me. They think I'm crazy. Every time I'm on the mic, they just, you know, it's not about that. I pray that I understand them so that I can talk to them, minister them, to them even more.
3: As a messenger for the divine, she wants all of humanity to know this message through her music and come to a better and deeper understanding of God.
4: I can't give anyone anything more. You know, I God showed me I can sing songs about love. I can sing songs about me, and those people will enjoy those songs. But when they're desperately, desperately in need of help, what will my music do? How will it help them? Will it redeem them? Will it save them? Will it fight that battle for them? You know, it's just a song.
1: But this God-directed foundation for her message of love is also secured in the love that she experienced while growing up in a large and loving family
4: love is so important a loving environment you know i really i i to this day i i i can't tell you how blessed i am to know how much love and and let me tell you because when you get out there and you realize see i I grew up in a big family my grandmother had 13 kids and it was always a lot of us and we just you know we just thought everybody's family is like this until i met other people who were
3: scarred and when she gave birth to her own children the unconditional love she had for them brought clarity to who she was in God
4: I'm, I'm very blessed you know it, I think it um you know it's matured me a great deal it's uh, taking my my priorities are in order you know what I mean um, everything is very clear I think there was a time when you know I thought I may have known more than I actually did and wasn't able to admit that but now I'm very clear that I don't know very much at all (laughs) you know that's what children do they sort of humble you and kind of give you clarity in a world of confusion
1: the birth of her first son was a pivotal moment for Lauren in regards to her agency and love of God it was the moment that changed everything in her life and brought a radical clarity to her experiences emotions and spirituality this informed not only the creation of the album but in particular the song to Zion. I'm Crystal Roberts.
3: I'm Matt Linder.
1: This is Flickers.
5: <laughs> Love.
0: Love.
1: Zion. Zion,
0: the joy of my world. A lot of people saying, you know, you can't be pregnant and, and have a career. If you go through with this pregnancy, you are gonna lose everything. You're just at the top of your world. Why would you be so stupid? Why you do such a thing?
1: That was Dr. Cheryl Kirk Dugan. And yes, this is how folks around her and the public reacted to the news of her pregnancy. So let's place this in context. Endeavoring on her first solo album, her pregnancy only complicated things. She was under a lot of pressure to deliver an album worthy of the reputation she had garnered up until that point. She would have to juggle pending motherhood and a career on the brink of superstardom. Many wondered how she was going to do it. The day after the Fuji's won a Grammy for Best Rap Album and Best R&B Performance by a duo or group with vocals, MTV News asked her,
5: Are you with child? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Don't blush on me now. Actually, yes, yes, I am. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. This is something that was planned, and are you excited about it? And- planned in the sense of, um,
4: you know, I'm 21 years old and going around the world, no. But planned in the sense that, um, you know, I'm very much in love and, and very happy. I mean, I see birth as, um, motherhood as a benediction. So I'm just blessed with another responsibility.
1: This was in February 1997, and her son was born August 3, 1997. So Lauren was still in the very early stages of her pregnancy and also working on her solo album. In an interview with the Chicago Tribune, she said, quote, I was very pregnant and I should have been tired. I had a huge amount of energy instead. I had all these ideas and I'd be in the studio till three in the morning, end quote. The birth of Zion brought clarity to the song she was writing for the album.
3: In that same interview with the Chicago Tribune, she said, quote, When you're pregnant, you're very emotional. I think that was a huge benefit in making this album. I wrote most of the songs prior to giving birth. The events in my life that became the basis for this album were unclear to me. I was in this cycle of disillusionment, but when I got pregnant, everything became very real, and very clear, and I was able to see everything that I had experienced for what it was, end quote.
6: I can't imagine being pregnant, wanting to do this creative endeavor that is huge, and everybody telling you to get rid of the baby, to like think about your future, think about your career, think about the toll that this is going to take on your body, blah, 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 blah. Julius Tunstall is speaking of the pressures that were placed on
3: Lauren from those at the label. One of the engineers of the album, Commissioner Gordon, on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums podcast, described the creation of To Zion and the reaction to her pregnancy.
6: Sat real close next to me and came close to my ear and like sang it really soft like a whisper in my ear. And she's singing about her son. There was a lot of pressure on her to not have a baby and like, Lauren, what are you doing?
3: And so to Zion in one way is her response to those at her label as well as those surrounding her. To every person that said she was crazy to have a child in the midst of her rise, to Zion explained what none of them understood. Her joy was in
6: Zion, not in stardom. And just the way that she goes about talking about what people are telling her to do with her life and to do with her child that she's so excited about bringing into this world. She thinks it's a gift. And people are saying no it's not. This is actually a burden.
4: And that decision to have a child was the first decision for myself. You know what I mean? And, and it just impacted everything. It was like a domino effect. And it made me really see who was genuine in my, my life and cared about my emotional and spiritual well-being. And it was it was a real heavy experience. I think a lot of people were surprised, yeah. And some were like, you know, why now? It's not the time. And I was like, you know, you're never prepared. And even if you prepare, you're not prepared. You know, because that's how really magnificent it is, you know. It's just an incredible thing.
6: And she's like, yeah. mm-hmm. I don't think so. It's really just so heavy. Because the production is so good and the words are so good. You can tell that she literally sat down and probably wrote down words, scratched stuff out, wrote down something else. I can say that better. That doesn't have to be said that way. Let me be more straightforward. Let me da-da-da-da. Like, it's so incredible the way that she once again makes another jump like in her artistry. Like she's so focused.
1: And the reward for that focus. I got these Grammys. I got these Grammy nominations. This is Raven Jones Stanborough. I did this as a billboard artist. I t-
5: charts, not only as a Fuji member, but as a solo career artist. I did this as an actress. I'm still doing this. I'm an activist. And I'm going to
1: still put myself out there, but it's going to look different. And with the recording of Miseducation, it looked very different. Lauren said to the Chicago Tribune, quote, I remember recording one vocal while I was flat on my back because I was so big, I couldn't stand for long periods anymore, end quote. And as a new mother, right? Like, Zion, Zion was born in the midst of all of that.
5: And her trying to figure out her life and people telling her to get an abortion. Come on now,
1: we're not doing that. Lauren making that choice with her son personally impacted women who found themselves in similar situations.
3: Juana Thompson, a freelance writer, wrote for Title on the 20th anniversary of Miseducation, quote, there is something incredibly special and poetic about to Zion. Lauren sings candidly about the uncertainty surrounding her pregnancy and the happiness she felt after giving birth to her first child. At the age of 22, I found myself in a similar circumstance, contemplating my position in this world and wondering if I could bring a child into it. Throughout the whirlwind of emotions that I was experiencing, I found the answers in Hill's prose. It is a story about faith, survival, and the potency of choice. End quote.
1: And then in Joan Morgan, She Begat This, 20 Years of the Miseducation of Lauren Hill, Tarana Burke recounted her experience Quote Lauren Hill and I were pregnant at the same time I was part of a group of youth Activists across the country who were doing Significant work I was 23 I just graduated college Had a job and was having a baby With the love of my life In my mind I was grown But everybody was very much like What are you doing You're poised to accomplish this and that Why would you have a baby right now Even my movement folks were like, this is not revolutionary. It's selfish. I felt like the most revolutionary work I could do was raise this little girl. End quote. The thing is, Tarana was right. She went on to found one of the most impactful social movements of the 21st century the Me Too movement. Our goal was really to work with um, black and brown girls in the South who are survivors of sexual violence to speak healing into their lives, to let them know that healing was possible and let them know that they weren't alone. And it just grew from there, grew from working with young girls to grown women, we realize, oh, we're survivors of sexual violence, so there's others like us. And and it's really been focused on what survivors need to start a healing process. That's really what the heart of our movement has been about. And also working to end sexual violence.
5: And I'm so grateful that she didn't listen to those who wanted her to discard her child and to discard what she was able to create with Roland Marley.
0: The whole experience of being able to help to bring another human being in the world for her is a part of love. So, the gift of creation, so you have to tie creation in with love. And she thanks her son for choosing her.
4: And I thank you for choosing me to come through unto life to be beautiful.
0: And so she's saying that I chose my heart over my career. And any objections people had to her being a single mom, because in the word she says, the joy of my world is in Zion.
4: The joy of my world is in Zion.
0: <laughs> but I would say that based upon my analysis of and listening to the passion and compassion. I'd also say part of her understanding of love is a celebration of compassion. And it's, it's really genuine because she said only God could create. And she's reminded every day of how she sees his face.
3: Lauren, in an interview with BET, explicitly ties Zion coming into her life with God.
4: Hood has um, influenced my life. You know what I'm saying? Just in general. Um, I always say that Zion had the most to do about my miseducation because... It was like he he revived me. You know what I mean? He, he, it's like God sent
0: him to revive my spirit. And that with her having this child, she learned the depths of love in a way that she'd never known before. And therefore, her understanding of love would have to deal with the gift of fertility, the gift of being able to bear and carry a child.
1: As we said at the beginning of the episode... Lauren knew love because she was...
4: I've always been surrounded by love, so I never had any voids, any empty spaces as far as, like, attention, you know what I'm saying, and love. And it wasn't until later that I started to meet people who, you know, didn't grow up with the same security, you know what I'm saying, and the same sense of of love and affection that I grew up with. And I saw how it affected them, you know what I'm saying. And And it really... It really made me think about how blessed I was to be born into the family that I was born into. Had
1: a deep love of God. First
4: of all, I'd like to say thanks to God um, because He uh, changed my life and put it in a direction, in the direction that it's going in now. And He made me remember
1: what I was supposed to be doing and uh, who I really was. And with Zion, she connected the two as a driving purpose for her music and, more importantly, her life. She felt like this wasn't worth my career in that way in terms of
5: silencing myself in this other life that I've created for myself and for the people. So I feel like we've been able to learn from Lauren, not only as a scholar, not only as an artist, but as a mother, even amidst contemporary critics and the fallback and the pushback against her silence because I often feel like even silence says something very loudly. Like I hear Lauren even if you're silent. I hear her say, I wanna take a break so I can focus on my damn kid. In
1: 2001, on a stage at MTV Studios in New York City for her unplugged 2.0 performance, She recalled this tension of being a tour musician and a mother.
4: And tour, you're supposed to enjoy and have a good time, but I'd be this prisoner in a hotel, you know, drinking tea and, you know, telling the children, you know, mommy has to sleep because I wanted to maintain this, you know, immaculate-sounding voice, but that's not realistic. You know, reality is sometimes I stay up late. This is what I sound like when I wake up the next day. And, you know, it's a voice, you know. And to me, the the more I... uh, I focus less on myself, the more I realize I can be used to spread a message. Because when I'm, you know, I used to be so, you know, oh my God, if I sound, you know, harsh and raspy, I can't go out there. And that's a lie. You know, I just sound like a singer with a lot of stuff in the throat.
1: But it was more than the physical exhaustion of being pregnant and recording an album, but an emotional and spiritual battle.
4: I'd gone through a lot, you know, a a huge emotional and, and, and spiritual battle prior to the creation of that album. And the the funny thing is that while I was going in the battle, I couldn't see my hand despite my face. I mean, I really couldn't see anything because I was so emotionally entangled in everything that I'd gone through. But it was like once I was delivered from that situation, you know, and once I got the perspective, was able to look back at heartache and look back at pain and disappointment, for some reason, it all was so clear.
1: And Miseducation, as well as to Zion, was born out of these battles. You know, the picture started to
4: form itself. The songs started to create themselves. I was able to look back and, and and uh and and be a narrator of my own situation. But the interesting thing was that it didn't it couldn't happen while I was in the middle of the of the
0: confusion. And so it's obviously drawing from like the biblical motifs of, of Zion where Zion is a place of deliverance.
3: To Zion is a double entendre, not only for her son, but also the biblical imagery it conjures up. As Alex Nava explains, the Old Testament prophet...
0: Jeremiah speaks of Zion during the period of the Babylonian exile, where the Israelites are in exile, and Zion becomes an image of of return. Return to the whole, life. but so she's invoking a lot of that the tradition and Zion, of course, appears in in many of the spirituals. So it's a very rich, rich symbol of the idea of Zion that brims with not only personal significance in her case, but spiritual significance and also of like social social significance.
3: That significance of the spiritual metaphor of a mountain comes across in a speech she gave to a high school students in 2000 at the Academy of Achievement.
4: Life is, is is peaks and valleys. And some people think that that, some people explain that as good times, bad times, but I actually think it's learning or, or, or let's say, learning mastership, learning mastership, okay? Or study mastership, study matters, mastership. Now, right, I went from the top of one mountain, I I mastered something, i mastered something, and people appreciated it. But, you know, once you're on the top of that mountain, you have to go this way. But in hip-hop, everybody's like, I'm not moving. I'm the master, I'm, I'm great, I'm dope, I'm hot, I'm here, I've arrived, I'm not going anywhere. And that's what ha- you stay stuck on top of one, on one hill, one mountain, when, you know, God's intention is that we study and master a bunch of different things. And so, here I am descending this hill and everybody's like where you going you know we we, we're supposed to be on the top of the hill but it's it's exciting time it's it's definitely exciting time for me because I'm at the foot of another hill you know this this hill you know is is different you know it's totally different you have to navigate it different but I get to learn and then once you learn and you go through that you on the top of another one
1: There's different ways to get from the valley to the peak. For Lauren, it's always been a path led by her faith.
3: So let's explore the complexity of Lauren's religious influences as they are myriad and expressed through her music. In a 2007 interview with TV Maniacs, she speaks of the creation and making of music as a sacred duty.
2: And when you're dealing with people who make music and write songs about the human condition, you're really dealing with the human heart condition. And, you know, it's important to do that in a, in a clean and sanctified area. You know, it's like a lot of the music that I did tonight was Bob Marley. You know, Bob Marley took what he did so seriously. For him, it was a priesthood. You know, it wasn't, for me, it's a priesthood. It's not just, you know, let me just write this join And, you know, we could, I could do that. But for me, you know, for me to experience the high, it has to be something so connected. You know, it's so much deeper than just, you know, doing it necessarily for profit.
3: So we'll come back to Bob Marley and his musical and spiritual influence on Lauren in a later episode. But for now, we're going to look at the broad religious traditions that have informed her spirituality. We heard from American religions professor Kone Marshall in the last episode. And she'll be the one guiding us through Lauren's personal religious history.
5: You know, she was raised that. Lauren and I are,
4: are from the same state. We're both from New Jersey. Lauren went to my church also. I think when Lauren was like 15 or 16, I gave Lauren a call. I said, why aren't you doing a solo album? Why aren't you going to do something? You know, you're, you're a singer and you have such a beautiful
1: voice. And people would love to hear what you have to say. And she said to me, Whitney, I'm a Fuji, I'm a Fuji forever.
5: But then you know, baptized Ethiopian
1: Orthodox.
4: My great grandfather was a preacher and he would baptize um, children in white with their heads tied in white. It also makes me think of Ethiopian Orthodox Christianity and and the white that they wear.
5: Her her kid's father is are Rastafarian.
0: But being that my father left at such a young age, me, us, all of us, I and I. We had to uh, find that higher self, and that higher consciousness, you know, in regards to a liberty and a way of life, you know. So, so that is the uh, teachings of the Most High, teachings of Rastafari.
5: And she became a part of the Five Percenters. The the
0: Fuji's.
5: So that's a lot to unpack religious, right? So, right there, she's placing herself in in Black history. and, And when it comes to religiosity, here, I think Lauren becomes maybe like, I wouldn't say like me, I'm maybe becoming more like her in the sense that if someone asks me my religion, I kind of say this thing like I'm between religions.
3: A Miseducation, Everything is Everything, provides a detailed compendium of Lauren's religious beliefs.
5: She verbs the word philosophy. And that's how she starts off by situating herself as someone of a knowledge curator, right? Like a philosophy. And then she talks about possibly speaking tongues, Baptist, Baptist, Abyssinian, or Abyssinian
4: Baptist.
5: So now she's talking about New York City. And Abyssinian Baptist is the first Baptist church in the city. And it served as a cultural hub for the city. Anyone who knows about a lot of black uh, cultural movement, Abyssinian is that church that serves as that sort of hub, right? So she is talking about her Baptist cultural roots.
6: The Bible is about God's interaction with God's people. Huh? Through their liberation.
5: And then she goes into what I believe is—I won't even say a religion because they wouldn't have called themselves a religion. They would have said that they were a culture, and that is the Five Percenters. He did not give the Five Percenters is a sect formed by Clarence Thirteen X in 1963 as a shoot of the Nation of Islam.
0: A and he didn't give the order that make him, that he let, he let the people know that their life was worth more than property, all material things.
5: I'm from Michigan, so it was over in there where it was this offshoot of Islam of, of sorts where Fard claimed, you know, that the Black earth man earth was God.
6: And the original Black man is God, the founder of all men upon the planet Earth. We, the 5% of here, represent ourselves as God through our true knowledge Ask God.
5: And this isn't a far stretch. there have been black Christians who have done so in so many terms that Jesus is black.
6: Daniel said, when I saw Jesus, I looked at him, got a good look at him. When I looked at him, I saw he had hair like wool, had eyes like flames of fire, and his feet looked like polished brass. Have you seen any vanilla-looking brass? That
5: Jesus is phenotypically black, like that he has black skin and dreadlocks. No, but that Jesus has the, not ontologically black, but contextually black, right? That, you know, he's born, you know, in Bethlehem to a teenage mother and gets hung by the government.
6: Baby Jesus spent time as a fugitive. And I'm so glad Egypt didn't have no wall built up. I'm so glad they didn't have Egyptian border patrol to take him from his mama and put him in a cage. He found asylum and safety in Egypt while the governmental leader was trying to kill him.
5: You know, if someone wants to preach in a black church, you know, I know a guy that could identify with this kind of situation.
6: And don't you black people ever forget one thing. The man that helped Jesus carry that cross was a black man. And don't ever forget another thing. Jesus belongs to Africa.
3: W.E.B. Du Bois in his circle depicted Jesus as a black Southern man. Theologian Howard Thurman tied Jesus directly to the experience of Black oppression in the U.S. Theologian James Cohen took it even further by linking Jesus' cross with the lynching tree.
1: Asada Shakur, member of the Black Liberation Army, said, quote, I believe that Jesus was a political prisoner who was executed because he fought against the evils of the Roman Empire, because he fought the greed of the money changers in the temple, Because he fought against the sins and injustices of his time. As a true child of God, Jesus spoke up for the poor, the meek, the
3: sick, and the oppressed. End quote. And then Asada's godson, Tupac Shakur, influenced by his godmother and the black spirituality he grew up under, depicted Jesus as black in the song Black Jesus. (laughs)
6: To help to carry us through Black Jesus <laughs> He's like a saint we could trust to help We got our own race, culture, religion rebelling against the.
1: System. And there are countless examples of references to Jesus as black in hip-hop, or even rappers portraying themselves as Jesus, such as Kanye's infamous Rolling Stone cover. So it's not
5: far-fetched to think that the nation of Islam would think these things. And so, you got a lot of hip hoppers around that time that were professing their do some of the Wu Tang. You get this kind of ideology. So, even though Lauren has this language and rhetoric of Christianity and Baptist, you can hear Lauren go from where hip hop meets scripture into these kind of ideologies. Of five percent as a nation, right? She'll say,
4: My mom's is heavy, like the mind of Sister Betty.
5: So now she's giving reference, right, to the nation. So she's saying that my mongering is heavy, it's
1: weighty, it has a lot going on, just like the mind of Sister Betty Shabazz. Betty Shabazz, the widow of Malcolm X.
4: In particular, one of the aims was uh,
5: internationalizing the problem of the Afro American in this country. We felt that as long as in a few states we were begging for cups of coffee or things
4: of this sort. And that I I fight with stars and constellations. I'm adjacent to the king. I don't fear
5: human beings. <laughs> it's this ideology that, you know, we are more than humans and what's going on in our own circumstances, we are above it. We are actually in a space where we converse with gods. I think it's not unlike a lot of Christian rhetoric of those of the oppressed or religious rhetoric of those of the oppressed. It's hard to be hopeful. And so, without becoming nihilistic, what do you do? How do we situate God, all powerful and all knowing and all omnipresent in our lives of suffering? And so, I believe that that's what Lauren is doing. And everything is everything. I would even, you know, argue that she's doing more of her music, but everything is everything. Everything is everything is the most pessimistic and optimistic phrase you could ever say (laughs) depending on your perspective. It's like it is what it is. And then she tries to say, we are not of this world. Because being in this world is hard to deal with. As young people, as people in these urban cities, as women, it's rough. And while she doesn't provide too many answers, she does provide I think eschatological Grasping, I think she does have hope for the future. I think she has hope in loving ourselves and love. So she's talking about again going back to this Ethiopian, right? These Ethiopian concept of blackness.
3: I want to take us down a bit of rabbit trail, but I think an important one as it shows us how these traditions inform Lauren's understanding of God and spirituality. There's one of the Desert Fathers that most people don't know about,
7: but it should be well known. The this is Femi, Femi Olutade. Femi I worked on DICEC, which is a very popular music podcast. African, Nigerian, by ethnicity. I grew up charismatic. Assemblies of God were received into the Orthodox Church about 2019 or so. He's called Abba Moses also known as Moses the Ethiopian. And for those who don't know, Ethiopia is not initially like an ethnic origin. It's actually a racial one because Ethiopia in Greek means like land of like scorched faces. So it's actually talking about those black
3: people. So he's also really referred to as Moses the Black. Ethiopia was an important center for early Christianity. There are lots of mentions of Ethiopia in the Old Testament. You have the whole Ethiopian eunuch situation where Philip... One of Jesus' disciples brings the first Gentile into the Christian faith. And then you have the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, which traces its origins back to that Ethiopian eunuch. So Ethiopia has a very important and rich history in Christianity. And Moses, the Ethiopian, is an integral part. Of that story
7: and he's a because he was a slave and then he was a robber and murderer and then he found a monastery and then his life got changed by like knowing jesus and being part of the spiritual tradition in the Eastern church. And this is the early centuries of the church. So it wasn't really split at the time, but it was in the Eastern tradition. And he just changed his life. He became this really strong pacifist. And he, uh, it took him a while. It took him a lot of working through a lot of his tendencies and a lot of things that were in his heart. But he became this very gentle and loving and like life-giving kind of person. So definitely a great saint
3: that is not known generally. In addition, in Rastafarianism, Ethiopia is their holy land.
0: Rastafari concept is one, his majesty, Ali Selassie first, is the return Messiah, Jesus Christus in his kingly character. Two, we believe in a United States of Africa. And three, repatriation and reparation, amos
3: will be in our time. So there's a lot of rich religious imagery that Lauren is bringing when referencing Ethiopia in Everything is Everything.
1: The religiosity of the song even appears in the music and her choice of
5: musicians. And I wouldn't even dare say gospel because that's where John Legend actually got his first debut on that song
2: the gospel background during the listening party and how that influenced this album. Sure. You know, my radio show airs in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Oh,
6: wow. So I I used to play there at the church for several years. years. Yes. And even when I moved to New York, I would still drive over to Scranton every once in a while and uh, play at the church. And uh, uh, I I, I love the folks in in Scranton and uh, Bethel A.M.E. Church.
5: John Legend coming in from, like, the gospel. It's little. There's so much going on in there. I love it. I love it. So I guess I'd say it's it's grappling with both identity and and race and gender while also trying to understand religion and religion at the end of the day, questions and asks all the questions that we have no answers to. And the, the song says we're trying to win a game. Who made these rules right to this game that we're playing? We're so confused easily and led astray. I think she's trying to make sense of it all. And that's what religion is also doing. Tries to provide us answers or not even answers, but a way to navigate the world.
1: In a song like Everything is Everything, we hear Lauren exploring various threads of religion and how her religious knowledge and understanding is expanding.
6: The being that is God is like in such a small box to me from what I've been fed. And there's so much more to the realization of who God is and what God can do in someone's life. And so Lauren Hill started figuring that out in bits and pieces.
4: When the lights were turned on in my life, I realized that I had been in the dark and that, uh, that my entire purpose on earth was to be a servant.
6: And miseducation puts some perspective out there. Now I may
4: have wisdom I may have Knowledge on earth But if I speak wrong
6: And then fully puts it out there in the unplugged
4: album. I want to let uh, young people know that it is uh, it is not a burden to love him and to represent him and to be who you are as fly and as hot and as whatever and to still love God and to serve Him. It's not a contradiction. It's not a contradiction. Merciful, merciful, wonderful, merciful, wonderful.
1: Even with love as her foundation, Lauren learned a greater love through the birth of Zion, but found an even greater love from God, who loved her enough to bless her with Zion, and as she put it, helped her find peace of mind.
3: Flickers is produced, edited, and scripted by me, Crystal Roberts. And me, Matt Linder. Engineering Mixing and Sound Design by Matt Linder.
1: Theme music by Julius Tunstall.
3: Cover art by Paperhead Prayers. Additional music from Beats by Hype. NFD guitar Noble C.O.D., and Ashoka made it.
1: Screenshot this episode, share it on social media, and tag three friends, as well as us, at the Flickers Pod.
3: If you haven't left a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podchaser, or Good parts. head over there and tell us what type of love changed your life.
1: We'll be back next week with Love. It Ain't Working. Thanks for listening.
0: Bye. Bye. Me mommy love me like she love her and I hey. She sang me fables when she used to wrap me dreads. She said me look like me poppy, be he did. He never met me, but he loved me, yeah he did. He was a king before me, mom became a queen. They killed him dead because he tried to stop the war. More. Me mama love me like the song that she sing, but I think she loved yeah. me just a little.